this ridiculous piece of music you're listening to is called Crazy Balloons. It's a really silly and fun sounding track which might be suitable for children's theater, uh, circus or juggling videos. And uh, today we'll look into uh, what makes it feel that way. You're listening to How I Make Music, a weekly show in which I break down my original soundtracks in the hope that I can share some of the knowledge and the behind the scenes of soundtrack composition for the community. My name is John Bartman. I'm a uh, music composer and producer from South Africa, and this is How I Make Music. let's get to it. Today's piece of music is called Crazy Balloons and I wrote it as a part of my then Gypsy Jazz band. Gypsy Jazz is a style of music from the 1940s popularized by a French band called the Hot Club of France. The Hot Club of France was an all-string band. The lineup was three guitars, a violin and a double bass and somehow using these relatively uh, soft instruments, compared to brass, they're relatively soft. They managed to really ignite the scene and ignite the room. So how did they do that? And the answer in brief is rhythm. A tight, solid core groove was required for this genre to really get people going. I decided to try and imitate this style um, using my uh, knowledge of guitar and the software. So let's break it down piece by piece, starting with the core rhythm of this song, which is, without a doubt, the guitar. Now, it's played in a la pompe style, which means the pump, and it's very much a straight rhythm. Give it a listen. Cool, all good. You can hear how the slapping of the strings actually serves as a snare drum to fill in the gap left by the lack of a drum kit, very much part of it. I couldn't resist getting a little bit fancy with the finger work and I included this tiny little hammer-on fill at the end of the guitar phrase. Listen out for that again a little bit later. Great. Next up, I uh, recruited my double bass friend Jacques Lowe, so he laid down the uh, bass track and I also panned the guitars left and right. Let's hear that. Jacques had the idea of uh, bowing the double bass for some sections of the song. Give the uh, big bow sound in the bass a listen here. Sounds really fat. He also came up with this weird sound for one point in the song. That's an example of getting sounds out of live instruments that you often can't find in sample libraries. My cousin gave me a juice harp, also called a mouth harp. It's like this little thing you stick in your mouth and then you uh, kind of hit it while it's in your mouth and it makes this really weird and distinctive sound. And uh, I uh, started actually this whole track with this sound, which is why the track is in the key of E flat. So let's give the juice harp a listen on its own. Mm -hmm. 
I'm always amazed at how picking up a new instrument or picking up like a new sample library or a new patch can really spark off ideas um, and get you going. So my advice if you're stuck at anything is get some new gear or get a new, uh, get a new library and start messing around with it. A whole track can get born out of that. This juice harp sound was pretty cool and I tried to sort of replicate it using a sawtooth wave. And here's what I came up with. It's very raw sound, very like raw oscillator sound. I put the two together in this little arrangement and they sort of go back and forth, um, but share the same sonic territory. Here's how it sounds. Shout out to my cousin Pierre for sparking that whole thing off by buying me that juice harp and, in fact, a guitar from the first episode of this podcast, Happy African Village. Super cool way to start new stuff is get uh, new gear. All right, let's move on to the drums that are in the song and then we'll play that whole rhythm section together before we move on to horns and strings. It's a really big arrangement, this one. Um, so let's unpack it slowly. There are three levels of intensity in the drums during this section, uh, sorry, during this song, so you could think of them as mild, medium, and hot. Let's start with mild. It sounds like this. It's usually during the verse section, which is softer. Right, and then there's medium, which is the same thing. Uh, there's just a closed hi-hat tapping along, so give that a listen. And finally, the most intense level where we remove the brush drum loop and we replace it with an open hi-hat. That sounds like this. Some typical swing jazz type stuff, and this we use in the chorus section. Great. Now, last thing as part of this rhythm section was the pizzicato on the violin. because it's my ambition to be the world's best violinist, so I even recorded that in stereo with two different takes. That's me jumping on the old violin, and I just wanted to add a little bit of an up-tempo rhythm, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, on the off beats, and that creates the balance, that creates lift when, you create, when you're doing this kind of music. So yeah, pick it up on the two and the four if you want to do that. Great, now that is the entire rhythm section. I'm going to play the consolidated file for you now. Give it a listen. A lesser mortal would stop there and just admit that that is good enough. String it out for a couple of bars and whack it into a soundtrack library. However, I wanted to carry on. And at the time I was surrounded by some pretty good musicians, I still am, um, and they were helpful enough to um, contribute their horns. So once again, we've got my friends Zimaz Hachesman and James Birchall 
playing the clarinet and the trumpet respectively. Um, now, I came up with the melody for this song and they embellished it with their own little um, bits and pieces. So here's what the clarinet and the trumpet sound like on their own. I love it so much that I even ran it through a delay so you can hear it panning left and right. The main singable, memorable melody in this song is in the verse section. Here it is. Super cool, and I love the way that uh, Zim went down low on the clarinet and harmonized with James there. I still get so excited about simple stuff like two instruments harmonizing, and I feel like privileged to uh, be able to work with you know these real musicians who've studied it. I'm a hack musician; I haven't you know gotten any formal training, um, and that's important to me because I want you to feel like you can do cool stuff even if you are a hack musician like me. More on that later. I think I'm going to work that into the overall uh, message behind this podcast. Let's talk about dissonance. Dissonance is when two notes sound very ugly together and we all cringe and hope that they're going to get resolved very quickly. Now, in the chorus of this, there's a moment where the trumpet and the clarinet should be playing the same note, which is a B flat, but the clarinet drops it down to that A and it sounds really dissonant. So it was Zim's idea, let's give it a listen in the horns in the chorus section. Here is the quote-unquote problem note a few times in succession. Definitely horrible sounding and at the same time very pleasing because it immediately gets resolved. I'd like to just bring this up, bringing this up because I want to stress the importance of uh, accidents and being open to accidents and being constantly on the lookout for uh, these small deviations from perfection. We don't want perfection. Our human ears end up rejecting it. So to deliberately uh, include this type of stuff in your work is not always a bad idea. Sometimes it can just sound horrible, but I encourage you to open yourself up to these accidents and decide which ones are worth keeping um, because ultimately it's the difference between a soundtrack that sounds like you know perfection and a soundtrack that sounds human and we we're, we're, seem to always be you know getting pulled in one of these two directions uh, you have to decide where on that scale you want to land sometimes it's more appropriate to deliver something perfect and sometimes you want to thrill the audience that is bored by perfection Cool, so let's move on to the strings. I take every opportunity I can to record live violin. Um, I have decent sounding string patches which do a better job and um, the reason I carry on inserting myself violently into my soundtracks is because 
I am super ambitious and I really want to uh, continue to improve on the violin. For this soundtrack, I did use my violin. I layered it, I think, eight times and bounced that all down with some review, reverb, cut all the low end out, so it's really that really thin, high-sounding string sound. And to me, it sounds beautiful, like the type of thing you'd hear at an orchestra at City Hall. Here's the part, and it's dry, meaning there's no reverb, so uh, don't judge. Here we go. You can actually hear me breathing because I'm standing quite close to the mic. Uh, that's a telltale sign that uh, we're talking about real strings. I mean, we all like the sound of our own voice here in podcasting world. I also just happen to like the sound of my own breathing. I hope that's fine with you. Now, here's the part uh, in context. So during a break in the song, these strings come in. Here they are again with uh, some of the background effects and also with the reverb and the EQ that I mentioned. So this is how it sounds in the final mix. Now up an octave. Very thin, very tinny. And here comes a slide. Now to me that is just as authentic as it gets. Um, it really sounds better to me than, uh, than software strings. Obviously it's a lot more work, but I take some pride in knowing that uh, it's been done with authenticity. If you have any chance of putting live instruments into your soundtracks, go ahead and do it. It might not sound as good as a sample library, a professionally recorded Niels from piano or session guitar or whatever. Uh, it's humanity that we're after. Don't think big film score, don't think Game of Thrones soundtrack, don't think perfect mixing and mastering. You should be trying to connect with people on your level first and really creating music with humanity is how you stand out from all the others who are trying to simply emulate and simply you know, get the job by sounding like someone else. Sound like yourself, that's the take home message here, sound like yourself. Jeepers, there is a lot to get through. This is a really rich track. Next up, I just want to play a few small things, very short and small um, additions to all of this other live instrumentation, um, which create moments in the track, create little lifts and fills and builds and drops and things that um, break up the monotony of a loop. I'll start with this harpsichord sample. It's just a little bit of flair it drops in at the beginning of every new chorus, I think. Then there's this build-up moment. I'll play the whole thing for you first. Give it a listen. This is a combination of things that we haven't yet heard. I'll play them in succession. First, the drum fill. Sounds like a jazz drum kit sample. Give it a listen on its own. 
then there's one of the only electronic elements in the song. It's a oscillator which serves as a riser to build tension. Then there's this, it sounds like a shaker, but it's actually a reversed snare. And then there's the guitar, which does this very gypsy jazz inspired chromatic run up. All of these things combine to create this uh, lift in the mood and prepare the listener for a big drop, um, which is the chorus. So a little couple of small little things there that uh, really add to that moment. Let's hear the moment one more time. Right on. So that is basically all I want to talk about from the arrangements of the instruments uh, from that point of view. I would just like to mention something about the chords. We're in the key of E flat minor, something like that. And um, in gypsy jazz, we're on jazz in general, we're encouraged to use a lot of color in our chords. So instead of playing the standard minor triad, I threw in a major six. So throughout the guitar, we hear this nice colorful note instead of that one. The chord progression in the A section is a one, two, five, so it goes E flat minor to F7, down to B flat 7, and then returns to E flat minor a couple times. And then in the B section, we go to the minor 4, which is A flat minor, back down to, oops, back down to E flat minor, and then repeat the 2, 5, 1. The whole song follows jazz idioms, um, these type of 1, 2, 5s uh, in the A section and a minor 4 to th in the B section. These are all stock standard jazz um, idioms, part of the jazz language. So uh, compositionally, it doesn't stray very far, which is good for soundtrack music. Uh, you don't really want to be confusing your audience too much. It's always good to add color, and to, but to stick to something that is fairly predictable and fairly... Uh, generic and fairly uh, mo commonly used, basically. Uh, we perceive beauty when our expectations are realized. So this is going to be one of those instances where uh, I recommend you stick to the script. There is a C section. This, this song is like four minutes long, so I didn't want to just loop A, B, A, B the whole time. In fact, there's a C section and there's actually even a D section, which is where we go to a major version. There's something like this. just a little brief interlude which breaks up the um, the heaviness uh, of the song. And funny enough, if you were to play the song to someone and say, it's a happy song, most people would agree because it's uplifting, it's up-tempo, and it's silly. So it puts a smile on your face, but the majority of the song is in a minor key. So major and minor can be thought of as guidelines for creating mood, but it's really not a like a carved in stone. You can create a major key sound with a minor key and vice versa. Uh, it really depends on factors like rhythm and harmony. So yeah, continue forwards, breaking every single rule that you can think of. One last thing before we close off is this sound, which I would totally feel was missing if I didn't include it. Obviously adds to the overall stupidity in this track, which is great. All in all, uh, this up-tempo jazz, jazzy, gypsy jazz style um, piece, which was originally written for my band, Pravda, I'll link in the show notes, 
as an electro swing track. We have performed it live. There might even be a video somewhere. Um, I think it's complex enough to do that, but I've repurposed it as a soundtrack for the benefit of the community. So go ahead and use it. It's for you. Right, that pretty much sums it up for this episode. We'll listen to the full track in just a moment, but before we do that, thank you for listening to How I Make Music. This is my weekly show in which I break down an original soundtrack that I've written and share some of the insights behind how it was made to give some knowledge to a community of you know bedroom composers, music peop- uh, untrained musicians like myself, who might benefit from hearing what other folks like us are up to. You're able to um, download this track for your own projects if you need it for a video or a podcast. Go ahead and grab it from my library at johnbartman.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-R-T-M-A-N-N.com. I'm on Twitter at John is the Music, and this podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Music. Search for uh, Apple Music, the Apple Podcasts. Search for um, How I Make Music. So check out How I Make Music on Spotify. And uh, I love being a part of the community of audio fiction creators and uh, other crazy wacky folks. So that's it. And uh, here is Crazy Balloons, a adaptation of our one of our dance electro swing tracks. It's a silly, fun, maybe useful for children's theater, that kind of soundtrack, maybe a carnival or a circus, um, very uh, very off, offbeat and uh, original, wacky-sounding music. Here's the track in its entirety. Thanks very much for listening, guys. I'll catch you next week. 